Hallelujah. I am so glad that it's Sunday. We have not started to build an ark yet, but the uh, rain has subsided. Just as you're finding a seat, I'll give you a quick update on the building project. As you know, by faith, we scheduled several months ago our dedication service coming up this Saturday or this Sunday, the uh, 28th, and we're going to have our dedication service next Sunday morning. What we're going to ask you to do is we will not have our Christian education uh, hour, but we want to ask you to come to this service at 10.30, then we're going to have some time of praise and worship, then we're going to walk, some of us will drive down there, I'll walk, I need it, but anyway, we'll walk down there and uh, celebrate the goodness of God uh, right now as we see something that as a church we believed by faith. Can I have your attention, because this means a lot to me. We as a church believed by faith. It was something that was not in the physical realm. We believed by faith that God was going to lead us in a building project that was beyond our means. And as we walked it out by faith, we will celebrate the goodness of God by seeing two buildings on our property as a group of believers that weren't there just a couple of years ago. Does anybody remember praying for this beside me? Hopefully you're not talking about just on Sunday nights months and years ago. We're talking about hopefully this last week. And we're going to encourage you to keep praying. This is a, a big week for us as we uh, start the, the final stretch and believing that uh, we're going to call for inspections and really quickly, I'll tell you, there's four big inspections. There's inspections all the way through the building process. I think that every time you cut a piece of board now, you've got to have it inspected. But, but outside of that, there's the four big ones that are at the end of the project, which is the mechanical, all the air conditioned heater system. Then you have the electric, and then you have the plumbing, and then you have the big one that says the building inspection, which is called the certificate of occupancy, which when the city gives us the CO, then it's legal for us to meet in the building. So we have already got our electrical final. So one down, three to go. Uh, hopefully this week we'll be able to get the um, mechanical and then the plumbing. And then when those two are done, then we'll call for the final CO inspection. So would you just join with me right now as we pray for this week and the week to come to that God would give us favor with the city of Fort Worth and we know that they're good people at the city and, and uh, just all the things that go in building is a lot, of, uh, a lot of complications and they want to make sure that the building is built right and so do we. We just want to know that at the end that all of us are happy and ready to move in on time. Let's pray. Thank you God for the... Just the, the ability to see your hand in this. And Father, I know that there's level of participation that has gone into this from everyone here. If, it, if it's just being a part of the church. If, it, if it's been a part of the groundbreaking that we walked down there almost now two years ago and believed by faith. And God, that we've seen that building come up. And now we're praying that God, that the favor that you have on our lives, that Father, that we'd be able to see this to completion. And the reason 
is for your glory. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Another translation says, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, they say, you know, what are we doing? If there's no vision, I I would put that there is a frustration. There's kind of a, a feeling of lack of purpose. Not too long ago, I heard about two buddies that were in the oil field and the oil industry back then had slowed down a little bit and they decided, well, we need to make a living, pay the rent, get some food. And so they were reading the uh, ads and the you know different classifieds and advertising job opportunities and, and old Bob looked at Earl and said, here's an interesting one. And Earl said, well, read it. And old Bob started reading about how a museum was looking for rattlesnakes and that they were paying $50 a piece, as many as could be brought in. So Bob said, well, we know how to rattlesnake hunt. We would be down there to Abilene and we've done the roundup. And so why don't we do that? $50 isn't much, but it'll add up. So Earl said, are you sure? Yeah, we can do that. So they got in their truck and had some nets and different boxes and things and they went out to West Texas and out there to Alpine out by El Paso and they, they, they started looking for snakes and they went up into the mountains and if you've ever been out there, you know they're not as big as Colorado but they're still mountains, Texas has. And they were looking around and And Earl said, right over there looks like a good spot. And they had to climb up and they kind of came around to a crevice in the the hill there. And and all of a sudden, Earl slipped, which caused Bob to slip. And they they went rushing down the hill and they fell into this big pit, this big crevice. And and when they kind of stood up, they realized that they had fallen into a pit of rattlesnakes. I mean, not hundreds, but thousands were just crawling all over the place. And Bob went, are you kidding me, Earl? Can you believe our luck? And Earl said, we're rich! (laughs) I exaggerate to make a point that there's two ways of looking at situations. Sometimes there are people that will look at a situation and be completely negative And then there's others that will look at a situation and see, you know, the gold lining, the the most positive ways of looking at it. And and this morning, I want to talk as we're in our series, Destiny by Design, and believing that God has a purpose for us. And and to realize that, that we're not just on this earth is going through, you know, this big blue marble and we kind of wander around going, well... You know, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70, I should be able to... 80, I'm 90, I'm going to die any minute now. 91, 92, I'm going to die. There's got to be purpose in our life. Or you can become cantankerous, frustrated, bitter. And I think that if we're not careful, the older we get, the more that we're defined by our problems. And sometimes, you know, they've even made those movies and videos and, 
Think about Hee Haw, if you're old enough to remember that show. And there's always somebody that has kind of their definition of who they are based on all their hurts or surgeries they've been through. And they start from the bottom of their feet to the top of their head. And they go, you know, I've had, you know, bunions and corns on my feet. And, and the other guy looks at him and says, well, I've had the same thing. And they, it's almost like it's a, it's a dueling match to see who has had the worst illnesses in their life. And if we're not careful, remember that we as believers, as Christians, that we're different than the world. But we can become so like the world because that's kind of the, the influence that we're around. That if we don't, again, we don't compare ourselves with each other. The Bible says that's not too bright of a person. Or that's kind of a, Anyway, but we... We read the Word of God to, again, give us the way to go and contrast us with the world. That we, we know that as a, a believer, who we are in God, our identity, and it means so much, that, that we can become focused on, again, that God has a, a purpose and, and we're designed for a destiny that He has created by the found, before the foundations of the world. And, and sometimes I know that blows your mind, but it's true. Before we go on, is that for anybody in here, that siren that's going on? No, okay, okay, let's just keep going. This morning, as I get into this passage of Scripture that we're going to be talking about, the old King James says, where there is no vision, the people perish. In Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no way of seeing it, people perish. They give up. They lose hope. Have you ever in your life ever felt like you've lost hope in something? It's, can you identify with this? That it's not long until there's maybe a depression that can slip into your life and, and you can become almost to the point of saying, why do I even have to get up in the morning? This morning there, there's a lack of vision in our circles of people that we run with. And if we're not careful as believers, we'll become influenced by them to the point that they'll say, I don't know if there's any different from you as a believer than me that is a non-believer. That if we're in the world to give light in a dark world, this is one of the ways that people see us as different because of the purpose that God puts into our life. Our, the vision that He's given us, first of all, for our own life. Because if you don't have vision for your life, do you realize that it's kind of like survival mode? If I'm drowning and you're drowning, you really love me, but i got to take care of myself first kind of thing, if we're not careful. So if you don't have vision for your life, you'll just get into survival that you don't even care about the vision of a body of believers like the church. This morning, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. This, this is such an interesting story. I, I visit this in my devotional life often throughout the year. Again, as contrast, because if I'm not careful, I get in the soup of the world that I live in, and I begin to become formed under that pattern of living instead of the godly way of living. We've talked about our identity in God, and I'll continue as pastor to preach on that. 
When we sung a song this morning, that man, every time we sing a song, that's who I am. Who are you? I'm the one that's loved by God. But you know, even though I know that, when I sing it, my ears are hearing it, and all of a sudden my back becomes a little stiffer. I don't care who's been against me this week, or maybe I've had problems. There's something about speaking into our lives who we are and who God is. So this morning I want you to see this passage of Scripture. The children of Israel are coming out of slavery. Now, now this morning, to, to, to get the, the, the parallel from you instead of just a history lesson, I want you again to allow the Holy Spirit to tailor this to your life. He brought His children out of slavery, which was miracle after miracle the plagues that the Egyptians had to really convince them there is a God and we're not worshiping Him. We don't want Him against... Go ahead, leave. Children of Israel go into the wilderness. And the reason that He brought them out of slavery wasn't just to get them out of the bondage. I I want you to hear that. See, a lot of times when we come out of the pressure of the bondage, we think we're free. God has brought us out for one purpose is to take us in to His promises, His destined... His destiny, His purpose for us, destiny by design. So here they've come out of slavery. They're in the wilderness, which is just a transitional period of time. When we read the story, we know it's 40 years that they'll end up in this transitional time, but it was never meant for that. It was just coming out to go in to a place that God had continually told them, children, I can see a father because I'm a father. On Christmas, when you get your children something for Christmas and you know that they wanted it because they've hinted to you. Like Mark, if he wants a watch, Dad, I need a watch. Dad, I'd love to have a watch. He's not here today. He's visiting his girlfriend in Arkansas. You need to pray for him. (laughs) And we're videoing that, aren't we? Maybe cut that part out. But if he wants to watch, he's, you know, he's, he's praying at dinner. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Dad, watch. Oh, watch and pray. And, you know, he, he's giving me hints. And there's nothing like giving a gift to your children and you're almost excited as they are to open it. See, I picture God saying, oh, I can't wait to get them out. But the reason why I want to get them out is to get them in. They, they come up and... If you're in church and you've heard these stories, maybe since you're a child, remember like John Miller, I might, I might be able to, you know, trump it even more. I'm pastor, I've heard it more than you. You know, I could say that. But every time I hear it again, it reminds me again of a, of a principle of a believer in John Miller's life that has to be strong as a rock. So I'm going to read this to you again. And again, it'll bring you back to maybe have heard it, you've heard it before. But listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, now remember as we start, the Lord said to Moses, this is a command that God's given the the leader of the people of Israel, his children. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Did you hear the, the verbiage that he's using? I'm giving it to them. You know, I just can't go on until I say, you know that song this morning again? All His promises are yes and amen. Do do you know what He's saying here? Is I'm giving it to them. 
I want you to send out some men to see, kind of, kind of, kind of get a glimpse. They're only going to spend a couple days there, so they're not going to see it all, but they're going to get a glimpse. Come back and tell the people. He says, these men are from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. Can everybody say leader? leader. You are a leader in the group of people that you run with. Send one of its leaders so that at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. Now, now, before I go on, remember that each one of them were leaders of the Israelites. Twelve guys are going to be picked, leaders, influencers, probably men of influence and, and affluent. They're, they're very uh, people that would be identified in that tribe as somebody probably of substance. So everybody with me, this is a sample from each of the 12 tribes. million people out here, just a sample, 12 men. Put yourself in the shoes of the blessing of being chosen. Call your name out. There are a million people, maybe some people say up to as many as 3 million people, and they choose you as one of the 12. You come forward, you got your suitcase packed, you're ready for the trip, say goodbye to your wife, children, it's an adventure, everything is set, everybody knows that you're the one that's picked, and off you go. Listen to what it says, when they reached the valley of Eskol, they cut a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Everybody been to Walmart and went through the grape section? I don't think two men got to carry a cluster of those grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Ishkal because the cluster of grapes is like cut out off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They can see the camp as they're probably coming back. They've got grapes, pomegranates, figs. They're ready to see their wives, their children. Now they're going to be required to give a report. It says in verse 26, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the de desert of Paran. Now remember, millions of people they're coming back. When you think of camp, it might be somewhere where you camped. YMCA campground, National Park, you know, and you get this little pup tent. No, no. Millions of people, you're coming back to the camp. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses the account when we went to the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. My translation, exclamation mark. And it does flow with milk and... Now milk and honey, if you're thinking about the literally, you know, Borden's milk coming out of the mountain. Uh -uh. What they're saying is that there is so much good green grass that the cows are going to produce. I mean, it is prosperity time. The honey, it, it, it's a luxury. You know that they could then go down to the store and get sugar. So honey was a natural sweetener. 
So, I mean, it's like there is a lot of luxury here, prosperity, that God said that would be. And what we're doing right here with our mouth to you, look what it says. And it does flow with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. They showed the grapes, the pomegranates, and the figs. Do you see what? God said it flows with milk and honey, and it does. Here's the proof. Everybody with me on that? I want you, if I could just stay here until you're like, okay, we get, that's where I want you to be. It is a good place. And the thing is, God prophesied through Moses and the, the leadership that that was going to happen. They are now standing on the brink of the promise, the blessing, the destiny that God had designed for them. And they see the samples, the fruit, and it's not a, they, they trust these 12 guys. They're not some kind of, you know, joker or poser. These are the people that, yeah, we believe them. It says, but, and, and there's, uh oh, there's that transition. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Or Anak, the Amalekites live there in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, you know the Jebusites, they lived in Jerusalem, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea, the Canaanites, later be called the Philistines, live near the sea and along the Jordan. Now, what, what they're saying is, we're giving you kind of a map of all these people that we've maybe experienced on the journey here. So that the people that are listening, Moses and Aaron, they go, okay, okay, okay. But we see nothing except them just reporting to this point. If you're in church, you're trying to get ahead of me, but think about if all you're doing is hearing these 12 guys, maybe one or two, giving this report, and all of a sudden this guy comes crashing in and interrupts, and his name is Caleb. And he goes, whoa, 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 hey, hey, hey. Shh. He silences the crowd, and it says this. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we certainly can do it. And I'm sure that there's some people going, dun, 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 dun. I see my picture on that hut wall and I see that little picture over there on my bedroom wall and I see this and I can, I'm going to move into a house that I didn't build and I can move you know, into a place, I can have a vineyard that I didn't play. I've always wanted a vineyard. I want a 12 row. You know, some people say six is, but you know, I like 12 row vineyard. People are seeing and believing what God is. And all of a sudden, then, then it, it happens. Now, and remember, Caleb and we know Joshua, they're, they're going to give the good report and that's what they're, he's trying to do. In 31, it says, but the men who had gone up with him said. Now, now just before I say what they said, and, and a lot of you already are there and you know what they said. And some of you are trying to read ahead and some of you are reading the Bible first time in the week. Okay, I can't wait. Listen. The struggle between these men of influence and leadership, they're, they're all leaders. 
Sometimes there's too many chiefs and not enough Indians, but probably these 12 guys are all, you know, chiefs. They're the, they're the leader in their community and they're not used to... But, but on the way back, have you ever thought that they could have been arguing over what to give the report and what their opinion is? Now, there's a, there's a, a person that will be called the uh, realist, which a lot of people call them the negative people. The logical versus the fantasy, which is the positive guy, you know. And each one of us, when you hear this story, you want to swing because you're a believer to Joshua and Caleb because you've been influenced by maybe a sermon or sermons or person. But this morning, I want you to put yourself, because we're in the series, Destiny by Design, and some people all through the series have said, well, you know, I don't know. I know. Oh, what are we speaking on this week? And it, it hadn't even been processed through your mentality through these weeks that what would you do in this story? Do you understand? Let me make this clear that nobody is disputing that there's are big boys in the in the land of Canaan. Nobody's disputing that their cities aren't big and fortified. But it says these people, we can attack. It says those people, they are stronger than we are. Now listen to this. They make their statement, but that's not enough. And sometimes people that lack faith, want to so bad influence other people so that they will be in agreement with them and that eases their opinion that God isn't in that. It says we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Uh, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Do, do you see? They are saying their own experience. Now now hear me because there, there's so many sermons that have been... You, you know what it says... And I preached them and you've heard them and you've heard them from other pastors and that there was something of a perspective problem. They had come out of slavery, but the slavery still hadn't come out of them. Which put them in a place of complaining because they were people that said, Sir, what do you want us to do next? What do you? And they had to see it with their own eyes to believe it. What God was asking them to do was to walk by faith. The rest of the story can be summed up as the people, the million, three million people were so influenced that they decided to rebel against going in to the promise. If you look at another version of this same story, what is told of it in Psalms 106, Verse 25 says that they grumbled in their tents that night. Do, do you know what the tent in this story is? It was in their house. There's something about 
going home and grumbling in your tent, grumbling in your house about the faith that God has told you and asked you to walk in? Because we know that the number one person probably chances are that we're around the most is our spouse or our family. And if we convince them and they can speak in our life, that's right, that's okay, yes, we don't have to do that. Then it's so much easier to get up every morning than knowing that the person close to us will not receive that. So we can put a lot of energy into trying to convince them. They grumbled in their tent. I've read this story I don't know how many times. And I'm, I, I, I try to give myself a little... I surely, surely have seen this before, but I really, when I read it again, it came back to me that I don't know if I have. Here's a loving father that this is before the cross. This is before grace that you and I have been afforded. But it says that those ten guys... All of them die of a plague. Now, when, when, when you get to the point, you know, that you, you believe that they should have went in and you've heard these, you go, good, those bad guys. But can I be honest with you? Have we ever been one of the bad guys in our own life? Concerning our own lives in our family's life? Well, it's... It is a lot of money to do that. It's going to take a lot of work. Instead of saying it's going to be too hard to do it, we come up with all these reasons. But the ten guys die, and the, the context lends it to believe, lends us to believe that it happened almost right there in that setting. And we don't know if it's days or weeks, but they died. And when the word comes back to this general assembly that has been influenced by them, it says they go, oops. Oh no. Because Joshua and Caleb that was saying, we need to go, we can do it. They'll, God will give it, gives us those giants like bread. They'll, we'll eat them up. Let's go. They're full of faith, which we all want to be. But it says, they die, the ten bad reporters, and the people begin to mourn. Oops, we missed it. Now here's the saddest part to me. We live under grace, and we know that we serve the God of the second chance when it comes to our salvation and messing up. And this, as much as I love everybody here, again, it comes to John Miller. And I am so thankful for second and third chances of grace in my life. And I preach that. But I don't know if there's too many opportunities that God gives us in an opportunity to walk in our destiny that He'll bring back for a second opportunity. Now, now think about that because that took me a long time to think about it. When a window of opportunity for my destiny comes through, He can bring other opportunities, but that opportunity usually closes down if I don't walk by faith, if I don't step into that window.
The people say, we have sinned. We will go up. And Moses goes, the window is closed. The opportunity is done. Because God had already spoken what would happen over them because of their unbelief. The ten guys that had influenced them died. Now the people say, we're going to get up in the morning. We're going to do it anyway. We'll show God. And they go up and they get defeated and they come back. And the, the consequences is that they're going to wander in the wilderness. Now, I don't want anybody to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, even you know, right now, let alone them. But there's a, there's a point that is hard to communicate as a pastor to people that are continually chasing their tail. And they feel like, I just feel like I'm in the wilderness. It, it is not a pretty sight when they tell me, and I say, why didn't you step into that opportunity? I, I might be able to say that one time. And they go, well, you know, I wish I would have. And then they tell me a story, and I say, well, why didn't you step into that opportunity? All of a sudden, it's not pretty. Because I'm trying to get them to a point to say, next time God gives you an opportunity, step through it. What happens is sometimes people will become jealous of people that are walking by faith. Let me give you this. We are in an opportunity as a church to do something that very few churches have ever done to this time in history. And that is doing... We're going to go into the marketplace... We, we are not doing a coffee shop for just Christians. Everybody know that? I hope you know that. It's not going to be a sign on the door that says, if you belong to the chapel, come on in. We've been waiting on No, no. We're trying to get people... That, let me just say this. I have interviewed people before we even started building pastors. And what is the number one reason why people came to your church to hear about the goodness of God. They don't know I'm trying to get, you know, what is it? And they're, they're like, no, they don't ever do that. You know what they do? They go, because they knew somebody in the church or someone invited them. And then they'll even go maybe later to after thinking about it a minute, the reason they stayed in the church is because they developed a relationship with somebody in the church pretty quick. Now, I, I don't, I don't have time to ask everybody, all right, next. I came because so-and-so invited me, you know. But here's where I'm at. As a church, if God has told us as believers to go into all the world, you got to do, what do you do with that? You can become going, well, you know, I, don't, I'm, I'm, I had a couple children and I told them about I mean, what, what do you do? So as a church and as a leader, we are creating a location that isn't the only thing we're going to do, by the way, but, but the, a location where people come in and are introduced to people in our church. Who are those people? You! Well, Pastor, I don't even like coffee. I don't care. We will have water, and I'm pretty sure you've drunk water in your life, so come on down. 
you'll have an opportunity. You might go to uh, another restaurant and kind of feel like, I don't know if I can share my faith. You can share your faith all day and all night in there, as long as you're not obnoxious. Repent, sinner coffee drinker! No, don't want any of those. But people can be introduced to other people in a way, again, we're trying to bring them to God. Quickly, let me give you three perspectives on vision. Number one is vision is the God-given ability to see possible solutions to everyday problems of life. They're not just money problems. But people that can acquire the vision that God has for them can overcome those little difficulties in life. Now, let me tell you this, that you might be a melancholy in this life and we know that there's four kind of personality traits and you know, you've got the sanguine. You don't know what sanguine is, but all I have to do is say Brianna, you know? She did a great job in teaching this morning on joy. She can sit, sit down and her hair keeps moving. I mean, she's full of life. And then you got the cleric that's more directed and more, you know, seldom wrong, never in doubt. You know what I mean? But, but then you have the phlegmatic that's easy going, but the melancholy always has a tendency to say, is the sky really blue? So whatever personality you're, you think that you are or you are, it's not a point of trying to come up with God's word is not true. Hopefully you know that. So let me give you some practical ways, again, as I said, this first point, vision is the God-given ability to see possible solutions to everyday problems. This is a way that you can see it. If you're not aware of this, just, just write these down. These are steps to overcome your problems. Number one, remember that God is bigger than your problems. Oh, come on, pastor, I know that. No, you don't. Not in the middle of the problem. Because your problem becomes bigger than God. Well, Pastor, how do you know that? Right here. I'm with you. The immediate problem that presents itself, if I'm not careful, becomes at this moment bigger than my God. It is a fact that that's how it is. But until you again remind yourself that no matter what you're going to go through, our God is bigger than that. The doctor's report. What somebody at work said is going to happen to you. The bully. Whatever it is, our God is bigger than that. Again, I already know, the person that's saying I already know that, remind yourself. Take it in as just reminding yourself, my God is bigger than that problem that I'm dealing with. He's the resource to meet all that He's asked you to do. I could expound on that, but hopefully we're to the place that we know that. Do do you realize that in the whole story of the rich young ruler, and he just couldn't make that decision to give up everything that he had because he didn't really realize that God was bigger than his problems? Do you know that Jesus tells His disciple kind of in this kind of intimate spot after that, he makes the quote, it is nearly impossible for a rich person to make it into heaven. And they go, well, who can? And he, he makes this incredible statement that says, in, in Matthew nineteen twenty six, 
This is the living translation. He said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Now, why is it almost impossible for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of God? Now, this is what I take out of it, is the fact that a rich man tendency is, has a tendency to think, I'm self-sufficient. And he has the ability not to see God is bigger than his problem because he's bigger than God. I've got all the money that I need. I, I need to not just assume that you know this, but we're all rich. We're all very wealthy in, our, in the way that we live. So, so take that to heart. Remember that God is bigger than our problems. Don't allow your resources to be thinking that's the only way that we're going to solve this problem. That's why my problem is bigger than me. Bigger than God. Number two is ask God for a solution. We know that James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if you need wisdom, ask. <laughs> Have you ever been about 30 days into a problem and all you've done is whine about the problem? You really never asked God for the solution. You just told Him what He already knows. They've been mean to me. They are awful. Ask God for a problem. Now listen. And expect an answer. You realize that to get an answer from God, you've got to expect looking long for the answer? It sounds so, yeah, yeah. Or even a little bit of fantasy, you know. What do you do? But until you get to the place where you get up in the morning and go, today could be the day that I get an answer. That could be listening to the radio and, and through a sermon that that pastor or that speaker has no idea what you're going through. H have you ever heard that or have you ever had that happen? You can be at a traffic light and sitting there and all of a sudden, ding! That's the Holy Spirit. Speaking in our life, if we're listening. Ask God for a solution. Remember, taking action and verbally asking is something different than just thinking God can do it. Number three is seek godly solution or godly oriented counsel. You're around, if you're like anybody, you're, you're just like anybody, you realize that people that are around you that are even believers could be influenced to speak negative or a bad report into your life. But if you realize that those people that have walked by faith and you can see fruit in their life, seek out their counsel. Now again, this is the hardest thing for some people because it's humbling and we're proud people. And what will they think if I say, I don't know what I'm doing? Again, there's a difference between a sympathizer and a solutionizer. Somebody that can see the solution and not just the problem. Let me give you one more and then we'll go on to the second perspective. And that is number four is list several solutions and implement one. Early on in my life, a counselor, a person that I trusted said, write down all the pros and cons of your decision or your problem that you're going through. Now again, this is practical. 
This is so practical and so many people don't know this. So I want to tell you. Write out all the pros and cons. And as you're praying, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Because He can speak to you through the cons that you shouldn't be doing that. Even though people are around you influencing that you should. When you look at all the pros and cons and you go, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Give me a solution to the problem that I'm going through. It's amazing how God can do that. You know, years ago, I told a story that I love about a company that moved into a skyscraper. And the, the problem with the skyscraper is that they didn't have elevators that would move fast enough and there was lines waiting on every floor for the elevator. So they were complaining and tenants were about ready to move out of the skyscraper. And so the company came together, the engineering company and the architect came back and they were trying to devise a, a solution to it. Listen to these solutions that they had to choose one. One was that they could speed up the elevators or arrange for them to stop at certain floors during rush periods. Option number two was they would stagger working hours to reduce elevator demand at either end of the day. Solution number three was to install mirrors and around the entrances to all the elevators. Number four was to drive a new elevator shaft through the building that would cost thousands of dollars. After discussing, they chose option three to install mirrors around entrances of all the elevators, which solved the problem of the people complaining. The elevators ran at the same speed, had the same problem, but people stopped complaining because they would come to the elevator and they'd look at themselves and, you know, they would wait patiently for the elevator. Then after that got a little old, it was good to kind of, you know how you do, you kind of look at this guy over here and size him up, look at her. When you write down all the solutions, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can bring one that you would have never thought about otherwise. Let me quickly go through these. The second perspective is vision is the God-given ability to see, again, see beneath the surface of people. Just some illustrations real quick. Einstein was four years old before he could speak. Can you believe that? Probably one of the names that we signify as genius and brilliant. and Four years old before. How many people spoke into his life that he would never be anything? But do you know that he was seven before he could read? Isaac Newton did poorly in grade school and a newspaper editor told Walt Disney that he was no good because he had no good ideas. Hayden gave up ever... Uh, teaching Beethoven because it seemed that he was a plodding young man that never really could get anything accomplished in the area of music. And again, you've heard illustrations like that, but my point in saying them is when you look at Jesus and he looked at Peter, this guy that was really, some people might have thought is a nutcase, you know? He had the foot and the mouth constantly, itis. He had something inside of him that Jesus said, when he declared that you're the Son of God, remember God said, Jesus says, on that rock, on that revelation, I will build my church. And we know Peter was one of the early believers that really went on to change the world. Again, looking into people's life when you're going through a problem and saying, 
that person could be the solution? If we're not careful, we put numbers on people's lives. That person could only accomplish a very little, so we're going to put a two on him. And, and what we do is we go through life thinking that person is no good, he's two. She, maybe a four. Now that person over there has got to be an eight. But a lot of times God says the person that you've overlooked can speak into your life the solution that you're looking for. It, 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 it's amazing how God does that. It's the same thing in our families. We need parents that are visionary. You know, if you know the story of Caleb, that later when he gets to the promised land 40 years later and he's like 80 years old and he says, give me that mountain. And Joshua says, God promised it. Go get it. The story goes that once he gets to the mountain region that has the big guys in it that he's been waiting and probably licking his chops for all these years to go because he's going to build his kingdom, his house, his people are going to live in this region, Caleb. The Bible says that his daughter, in a lot of ways, has that same faith that it's her father. And goes and says, you've given me this, but I would like that and that. And he goes, done. The influence on his children. See, a lot of times we get to a place in our children's life that we've seen them go through things and we're frustrated with them and we go, you'll never amount to anything. And what you're doing is you're not people of vision when you do that. But you're speaking death into their life. We need that in our spouses. The person that you're around probably the most is your spouse. So you know as well as me, they have the biggest opportunity to frustrate you. Can I get an amen? Okay, now get that out of your system. Let it go. But if you're people of vision, you can again encourage them in a new day of what they can do in an area that maybe has grown cold in their life. That God had destined them for them to do. When you married them and you believed in them, allow God to bring that back into your life. Let me give you the third one. Vision is the God-given ability to catch a glimpse of what God wants to do through your life if you dedicate yourself to Him. I love T.E. Lawrence's statement, all men dream, but not equally. Those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds awake to the day to find it was all vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous men. For the many act, for the many act out their dreams with open eyes to make it possible. I believe that God wants us to be dangerous. He wants us to go about doing the things that He has called us to do, that He's spoken into your life, that maybe you have grown, kind of your eyes have grown dim, that you have kind of gotten cold on, that, oh, I don't know if I could ever do that. To bring that back to your forefront, say, God, I can do that. You know, one of the stories that I've always loved the most of Christopher Columbus, and I'll end with this. Christopher Columbus was a man that you know as well as me, lived in a time where people thought that the world was flat. And he was going to attempt something that was kind of crazy to the people of the world at that time. He was going to sail beyond the limits of where people thought that the earth stopped. Does anybody know then what they thought would happen if you did? It'd fall off the end of the earth. But Christopher Columbus pressed further than what was known at that time. And we know, because we celebrate it, it's Columbus Day, he discovered America. 
he, the story is that he went back to Spain and they were, the, the, the royalty was celebrating his accomplishment. But the nobility thought of him as kind of rough. Matter of fact, when he was invited to banquets, the, kind of the rumors were really all he did was just kind of an animalistic kind of urge to go further. He didn't do anything, but he kind of stumbled on America in all its riches. So Christopher Columbus had about enough of that. And the story is that he took out an egg at a banquet and he, he sent it around the banquet. And he challenged everybody if they could stand that egg on end and have it stand up. And it went from person to person and person and person and person and person until finally it got back to him and nobody could do it. And he took the egg out and he went and it stood up. And they all went, oh, we could have done that. And he said, if you would have had a thought, you could have done that. And if you would have had a thought, you could have maybe discovered America. As a church, one day we'll hear scoffers go, we could have done something like a coffee shop to reach people for God. And if you participated in this, you'll say, but we did. We had a thought. And one day you'll be sitting next to somebody. I don't know when. It could be early next year. Two years, five years, but if you choose to stay in this church, just like Justin is sitting next to his beloved, <laughs> Christian says, I got that vision right there. That who's to say that one day there might be a Christian in our church? Because the coffee shop was built. Who's to say that there might be someone up here on the worship team because they met someone at a coffee shop? And one day, 500,633 days from now, in heaven, someone will say, my story goes like this. I went into a coffee shop and I met this senior citizen that didn't even work there. And they said, have you ever thought about coming to our church? And I kind of said, what? But there was something about them that was just a little different. I thought a little kooky maybe even. But there was something inside of them and it was hard to put my, put my finger on it, but it was joy. And because I lacked joy in my life, I kind of inched my chair up a little bit and I said, tell me about it. And they told me that a church that wasn't all that big, didn't have a whole lot of money, invested in a place that would be an opportunity for someone like me to come. And now I spend my eternity in heaven. What is your destiny that God has planned for you?
Would you just bow your heads for a minute? In all due respect of our privacy, it has to end where you step forward and say, I don't care if anybody knows. But I'm more than just a, a believer that there is a God. I'm a believer that God has a purpose for me. And this morning, maybe you've gone through depression in your life or frustration. And all you can do is speak negative because it feels so normal. Everybody does that. But maybe you'd say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to stop that. All the promises that God has given me are yes and amen, which means so be it, so go do it. Get on. Faith without works is dead. In other words, if you don't work it, if you just believe it, but you don't work it, then it's of no value. And this morning, I want to just ask you to to take a moment in your life and say, God, I want to be a doer of your word. Not just a hearer. And this morning that you act. This week... Yeah, it would be, you know, to put, to put a picture to it, to, to work in the coffee shop and help us clean up. All oh, that's good, but that's, that's not my intent to just get you working at the coffee shop, but to get you working in your own life of what, God, it's maybe been speaking to you for days, months, maybe years, maybe a lifetime. Instead of identifying yourself as your, the problem of an ache and pain in your life, you begin to realize that's who I am. Who am I? I'm one of God's children. That He's given me a purpose and a destiny. And I'm going to live that out. Father, today I pray for everyone here. God, the one that is, that maybe sees themselves as timid, shy. Maybe they feel like they don't have a lot of skills or talents. But God, more than anything else, it's the humble that God that you exalt. And even that person today that could say, God, I need you to speak into my life. God, we know that you'll be faithful. 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 And all your promises are yes and amen. Today, that's what I pray for my my friends. In your name I pray. Amen.